Well, good morning, Soul City. That was weak. Good morning. Thank you. Um, my name is Nancy Beach, and I have the privilege of serving on the teaching team here. And this is my first opportunity to teach in this new space. And I'm sure I speak for many of us when I say that in 2017, one of the things I'm most grateful for this year is how God has provided this Transformation Center for us. What a beautiful place to be. Yeah, it's really great. Well, welcome to December 10th, 14 days till Christmas Eve. 15 days till Christmas. That's both wonderful and a little scary. Um, I love this season. I find it to be fun and exhilarating, but honestly, it's also a little exhausting. Is anyone besides me a little tired, a little stressed out? Let's breathe together. Take a deep breath in. Exhale. Oh, that's good. Very, very good. You know, for some of us, it's not just the Christmas activities that wear us out. It's the end of the year responsibilities. I used to work at a place where we had new budget uh, in January, so December was all about preparing that budget, and then I managed several people, and we had to do end-of-the-year reviews, and those took a lot of time and focus and energy. And if you work for a non-for-profit, you know that this is the biggest window, the most important season for fundraising. So you add all of that onto the personal side of Christmas, and it's no wonder we're all just a little bit tired. In fact, I'm so tired, I'm going to sit down right now. Um, in a recent Tribune article, seriously, I am. Um, in a recent Tribune article, I read this. Tiredness, recurring tiredness, seems to be the new normal for a growing number of people, regardless of their age or background. And what experts say is making us more tired than anything else may surprise you. It's our technology our devices, in particular our screens, little ones like this, our laptops and our televisions. We are distracted by our technology and we are also exhausted by it. A therapist named Patricia Brott works with young adults who check their social media constantly at all hours of the day and night and they complain about being tired. She says social media is making them feel anxious and overwhelmed by what is happening in the world. And all of those factors can be fatiguing and can impact how they sleep. Noted psychologist and author Jean Twenge has been researching generational differences for many years. And in a recent article in The Atlantic, she wrote about some astounding discoveries. Around 2012, Jean noticed abrupt shifts in teen behaviors and emotional states. In fact, she had never seen anything like it in all her years of study. What happened in 2012 that caused these dramatic shifts? Well, here's what she says. It was exactly the moment when the proportion of Americans who owned a smartphone surpassed 50%. Since that year, there is compelling evidence that the devices we own are having profound effects on the lives of all of us, and particularly on young people. The highlights of the study show that this next generation is not hanging out with friends nearly as much as in the past. Rather, they're hanging out in their bedrooms with their devices. And this lack of social interaction is causing higher rates of loneliness and depression and even suicide. The more we look at our social media and see what other people are doing and accomplishing and how great they look, the more we get caught up in envy and comparison. A recent article reports this stunning statistic about our addiction 
to our devices. It says the term addiction is no exaggeration. The average consumer checks his or her smartphone 150 times a day, making more than 2,000 swipes and touches. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get caught up in a rabbit hole of internet exploration. Whether it be checking out products, reading blogs, exploring Pinterest, engaging in political chat rooms, discovering what celebrities are up to or planning your next fantasy vacation, it could be anything. But before we know it, hours have passed by. Hours that don't really satisfy. In fact, this morning, I'm going to ask you to pull out your phone if you have it with you right now. Pull it out. And I'm going to ask you to turn it off and not just silenced, all the way off. It will be okay, promise you. <laughs> when we read scripture later, we'll use the screen or the real Bibles, okay? Turn them completely off and see if we can make it through this next hour with no checking. I believe that you and I are in great danger of being so distracted that we actually miss out on the full life that God made us for and that he designed us for. I think we long to be fully alive and present, to live a life of true rest and connection and delight and wonder. But to experience that kind of light, we're gonna to have to make some radical choices. First, I wanna be clear that I'm not just a cranky old lady who hates technology. <laughs> I am old and I'm sometimes cranky. But I do love technology and what it can do for us. I'm actually very up on technology. I found the emojis and I use them all the time. It's really fun. But you know, smart people who God created have figured out how these tools can help us in remarkable ways. And I've seen so much change in my lifetime. Here's one very simple example. GPS. Warren and I have a friend named Joe, and I've told you about Joe before. He grew up an orphan at Little City in Palatine, and he's been a part of our family. We've kind of included him in our family for about 38 years. Joe lives a very simple life, and he doesn't own a cell phone or a computer. He can't afford those things, and he doesn't really want them. And now at age 57, he must be one of the very few people left without these tools. He loves to take car trips. So around Thanksgiving, we invited him to join us, and he said, you know, I'm thinking of driving to Virginia to see some friends who used to live in Chicago. The only problem was how he would get there. And Joe said, I've got it covered. It's no problem. I'm going to use my atlas. Now, in case you don't know what an atlas looks like, <laughs> this is an atlas. And the way it works, believe it or not, is you're driving in your car, and you want to know if you're supposed to exit or not. And then you look it up, it's alphabetized by state. You look it up, and then you like kind of need a magnifying glass to read it. Now what some people do, Joe is going to be alone, some people have a navigator. The problem is that led to many divorces in our country. So that, that really didn't work. So Warren and I did not believe that this was the best plan. So I said to Joe, come by the house, and I'll print you out, this is still pretty old school, but I'll print you out a map quest. So that's what I did. He made it there and back. He told me he got lost a few times. But GPS is absolutely, I don't know how it works, I don't understand it, but it's remarkable. And you know, what I have learned about technology is that it is to be celebrated. It really is. And it makes life easier. But it cannot make life richer or more meaningful. 
Technology can give us knowledge, but technology can never give us wisdom. Therefore, we have to put technology in its proper place. The pace of technological change has far surpassed our capacity to develop enough wisdom to know how to handle it. And that is not my statement. It came from this great little book that Jared tipped me off to called The TechWise Family by Andy Crouch. I really highly recommend it. And here's what Andy says. Technology is good at serving human beings. It does almost nothing to actually form human beings in the things that make them worth serving and saving. Now, I recognize that some of you are listening so far, and you don't have big issues with bordering your devices. Maybe you're feeling a little judgy right now of the rest of us. I celebrate your discipline, and I ask you to hold on on your judginess. Truly, you should probably be teaching this morning, but my hope is this message will confirm for you the choices you're already making. For the rest of us, I'm about to dig into some very practical ways that you and I can choose to control our devices. But first, let's envision the goal. What would we gain by such radical choices? Because I promise you, none of these decisions will be easy. If we severely limit so much distraction, we will be able to give the greatest gift of all this Christmas. It's not a gift on anyone's list, but it's what we actually most desire. The greatest present we can give is our presence. Now, Jared always has these great statements that are so quippy. I thought that one was really good, right? Yeah? Huh? I'm trying. The greatest present we can give is our presence. This includes presence with God and with others. To truly be with. That's what I want, and that's what I think you want too. It's the pathway to rest from our weariness. Jesus extended an invitation to weary people long before the advent of technology. He said, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus knows how hard it is for you and me to truly rest and be present. And here's the best news that I have for all of us today. If we give the gift of our presence, we will receive presence in return. If we give the gift of our presence, we will receive presence in return. I'm not going to tell you what those presents are just yet. There is a great surprise coming in just a few moments. Gifts ahead. I feel like Oprah right now. There are gifts <laughs> ahead. So let's figure out what needs to happen to make presence really possible. Back to our technology and our devices. This book I recommended is supported by extensive research done by the Barna Group, and they discovered that parents overwhelmingly believe that raising kids is more complicated today than it was when they were kids. And the top reason for that, by far, a whopping 65%, was technology and social media. Andy Crouch says that the home is the place where persons are primarily formed. It's the place where we can learn wisdom and courage our distractions with technology are making that formation extremely difficult. If we want to become more present, we're going to have to create boundaries for our devices. So one commitment that he suggests is this, create more than we consume. Many of us have become far more passive in our lives by consuming what's coming off of our screens, including social media, internet exploring, binge watching of television. 
all of those activities are not essentially creative. What if we turned everything off periodically and did something, anything, that doesn't involve a screen? What if we intentionally chose to make sure that our lives includes time devoted to making something, writing a note, a handwritten note, playing an instrument, cooking a meal, or even playing a board game? Any activity that nudges us to create instead of consume. I love the recent trend back to board games. This summer on a vacation, our family learned some new games, courtesy of my daughter's boyfriend, Will. There's nothing like playing games for getting to know one another. Another guideline offered up by Andy Crouch is that we set up rhythms with our devices. The goal is to create a healthy rhythm of work and rest. In his family, get ready now, they turn off their devices one hour a day of their waking hours. Usually this centers around dinner time when the family can connect. Each of us can discern what is best when we can turn it all off. Then we can practice turning it off for a full day a week, or at least a good part of a day. This is the practice of the Sabbath that we've already explored together. And get this, the Crouch family recommends one week a year, preferably a time away on vacation, when the devices go silent. Yes, this is very radical. Now, <laughs> some of you can't imagine those kinds of limits. It sounds impossible to you, but I suggest that we start somewhere. All of us are so worried that we'll miss out on some big information or we won't be available for an emergency. Trust me, when we return to our devices, we can get all caught up. Here's one more commitment that can nudge us towards presence. It's highly recommended that we wake up before our devices do and they go to bed before we do. Some of us reach for our phones before we even roll out of bed in the morning, right away. We see if we have a message for us or what's happening in the news. What if we delayed that just for a bit? What if we slowed it down and spent some moments with coffee or tea and our Bible? What if we took some deep breaths before launching into the world of have-tos and information? And then there are our issues with sleep. Sleep is absolutely essential to human beings flourishing, and most of us are having trouble getting uninterrupted, sweet sleep. Experts point to our technology as one of the primary enemies of restful sleep. What if we decided that at least 30 minutes before bedtime, we would take our last look at any of our devices? That means no phones, laptops, or televisions in the bedroom 30 minutes before lights are out. We unwind from all the information. We start a journey toward restful sleep. We are not allowing ourselves to be distracted by incoming messages. When we had our first baby 28 years ago, we lived in a very small home. Our baby's room was down the hall, just a couple rooms away. And we got a baby monitor, you may have had these, um, to be aware of when Samantha would wake up during the night. The problem was, as a very young, nervous mother, I had the volume of the monitor up too high. I could hear every breath she breathed. Worse, I would panic if I didn't hear a breath, convinced she had died. I tossed and turned until eventually she cried out to be fed. You know, by the time baby number two arrived, I had learned my lesson. I put the monitor in the bathroom far away from me. I turned the volume quite low. I knew I would hear the big cries, but I was no longer distracted by every whimper and breath. Johanna's infancy was so much more relaxing. 
So it is with our devices. Keeping them close by at night is a huge distraction to restful sleep. Put them to bed before you do in another room. Use an old-fashioned alarm clock to wake you up. If there's an emergency, you will find out soon enough. Look at this wisdom in Psalm 127. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives sleep to his beloved. Isn't that beautiful? He gives sleep to his beloved. Our Heavenly Father created us to need good sleep every night as he watches over us. Now, I told you these choices would be radical, but here's the bottom line. We have to see ourselves as the boss of our devices. In fact, grab your phone one more time. Don't turn it on. Just grab it one more time. I'm going to ask you to hold it for a moment. And now I want you to say together, look at your phone, say, I am the boss of you. <laughs> I mean it. Say it right now. Here we go. I am the boss of you. You are not the boss of me. I am the boss of you. So important. I promise you, if we're willing to make some of these radical choices, presents are on the way. I promised you gifts. What are the gifts that we receive when we limit the distractions and give our full presence? It's time for Nancy's favorite things. Here we go. I'm going to unpack them briefly. Here are the presents from presents. We get rest. We get connection. We get reflection and wonder. So the first wonderful gift is rest. When you and I border our technology, we can experience real rest. This includes sleep, as we've already described, but it's also a kind of rest when we're awake. It's very different from leisure. Leisure is defined as a fruitless escape from our labor. We're not at work, but we're not really experiencing the kind of life-giving rest that can restore our souls. In an age of technology, guess what? We are increasingly bored. This is a critical warning sign. Though we have massive amounts of information and entertainment at our fingertips, all too often we find ourselves restless instead of rested. We lose our capacity to enjoy moments. Have you noticed a difference between the kind of rest that involves taking a walk or lingering over a meal or reading a book with real pages or going sledding or making something? Those kinds of activities are not passive, and therefore they deliver a whole different brand of rest, the real deal. I invite all of us to replace some of our screen time with life-giving activities. Some of those will be in solitude, and some of them will involve other people, which leads us to present number two, connection. You know, even at their best, social media substitute distant relationships from close ones. You know, I can go on Facebook and find out that my old college friend who I haven't seen in years just took a lovely trip to Italy. How nice. I can look at <laughs> photos. I can look at photos of people I rarely encounter in person and feel vaguely connected to them in some weird way, almost like I know too much information about people who are very far from my inner circle. This can be fascinating, but also frustrating. There is nothing to compare with actually being with another person, with real eye contact and questions and conversations and laughter and empathy. I so appreciate how my daughters give me the gift of their presence when we are together. Their phones are put away. They don't ever grab them to check for incoming messages. They give me the gift, it's my favorite gift, of their full engagement. 
Andy Crouch writes that most conversations take at least seven minutes to begin. For the first few minutes, with most people, we skim along the surface, we exchange basic information, and honestly, most of us stop those chats long before, long before we get into anything meaningful. What I think we need to do is slow it down, because there's so much potential in digging a little deeper. We can ask good questions like, how did you feel about that? Or how can I support you? Or what is keeping you awake at night? You can, I, and I can easily forget how much more valuable our presence is than anything else, especially at Christmas. We get all caught up in all these activities that we think are have-tos. Like most families, we have a lot of traditions. One of them is coffee cake, fruit, and a breakfast casserole for Christmas morning. And when my girls lived at home, one time I found this recipe, this new recipe for homemade coffee cake. It was kind of complicated, and on Christmas Eve day, I ended up spending well over an hour making this new recipe. This was time I could have spent with the family, but instead I was sweating in the kitchen. The next morning, the coffee cake really was delicious, but my girls took a risk, and they tentatively informed me that they kind of missed the kind we used to buy at Jewel. <laughs> and I learned that some of my big ideas of what to give the family takes a precious time when I could actually be present. From that year on, we're doing the jewel version every year. People are happy. Do you have any have-tos that need to be revisited? What could you do to allow for greater presence with the people you love? This season, you know, can be so lonely for so many people. The best gift you could give a neighbor, a coworker, or a friend might just be a few minutes of your precious time. As we limit our screen time, we can give the gift of true connection. And you know what? This connection is not just with humans, but also with Jesus. There's a beautiful verse in the last book of the Bible. It's an invitation to be present with Jesus. When I was little, I saw this painting. It's over 200 years old now. Who knows if that's what Jesus looked like? But what stuck with me was the fact that he was gently knocking on that door. He wasn't you know, banging it down. He wouldn't barge in, but he was gently knocking at the door. And it's from Revelation 3.20, where it says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. You know, to sit with someone over a meal can be one of the most life-giving experiences of intimacy. And Jesus is offering that to you and to me anytime, any place. He won't bang down the door, but he is gently knocking. Will we hear the knocking? Will we abandon our distractions and invite his holy presence just to sit and be with him? One name given Jesus at his birth was Emmanuel, which simply means God with us. Will we open the door and allow him to be present? Now, to explore gifts three and four, we're going to go to our Bibles, another place in the Bible. And I want you to grab the one in front of you if you have that. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I don't have the page number. Can you guys tell me what page that's on? Sorry. 830-something? 832. Thank you, Sean. Um, turn to page 832. And I want to highlight just a couple moments in this story. Luke chapter 2 tells the story of Christmas. 
Now, you may be aware that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was likely in her late teens when she gave birth to Jesus. And in this humble barn where the miraculous moment occurred, Mary was still figuring out the meaning behind these events. An angel had appeared to her, and then the shepherds came, and they started talking about the proclamation of the angels that this baby was to be the Savior of the world. So take a look at Luke 2, verse 19. It's one of my favorite statements in the Christmas story. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary shows us the third gift we receive when we're present. It's the gift of reflection. To reflect, to ponder, is to mull over events, to wait and listen and feel deeply and think deeply about your life. To reflect requires us to be still, to reject the frantic pace around you and to simply sit. So imagine how Mary would likely have handled these moments if Jesus was born today. She would have immediately gone to Instagram and Facebook with selfies from the manger scene, constantly checking how many likes she would receive. She would invite all kinds of comments from random strangers to interpret what was happening. Reflection would not have taken place, but instead, Mary treasured up all these thoughts and pondered them in her heart. She went still and she went deep. When we give God our presence, we make room for him to whisper to us, to guide us, to affirm us, to stretch us, to challenge us. And reflection then leads to the fourth gift found in the story of the shepherds. Look at Luke 2 starting at verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. You know, a group of ordinary shepherds were fully present for the most astonishing moment of their lives. They received the fourth gift, and it's the gift of wonder. One of my favorite words in the English language, wonder. These shepherds were interrupted in their routine, and they looked up, and they didn't miss it. They didn't miss it. I believe all they could say was wow, or whatever their version of wow was back then. Anne Lamott says that wow is about having one's mind blown by the mesmerizing or the miraculous. It's about being stunned to the place beyond words. And when you and I move away from our screens and pause to reflect, we make room for wonder and awe. We develop the capacity to delight as surely as those shepherds delighted in hearing the very best of news and hurried to find the baby Jesus. I long for wonder to be a bigger part of the fabric of my days. Wonder even in the ordinary moments. I appreciate this poem by Mary Jean Iron that calls us to wonder. She says, normal day, let me be aware of the treasure you are. Let me learn from you, love you, savor you, bless you before you depart. 
Let me not pass you by in quest of some rare and perfect tomorrow. Let me hold you while I may, for it will not always be so. One day I shall dig my fingers into the earth or bury my face in the pillow or stretch myself taut or raise my hands to the sky and want more than all the world your return. The return of what? A normal day. A normal day. My friends, let's refuse to allow our technology to rob us from the gifts of rest and connection and reflection and wonder. Let's be the boss of our screens and put them in their proper place so that we can live a life more full and deeply satisfying. My homework for you is to make the radical choices this week that you need to make to border your technology so that you can have the gift of presence. As we close, I want to give you all a moment to reflect. Just in case you don't carve one out later, you're going to have one right now. And I'm going to slowly read just a little more of the Christmas story with some other scriptures. And then Jeremy is going to sing a classic Christmas song about wonder. Ponder these truths that lead to wonder. You see, Mary and the shepherds didn't fully comprehend the full arc of the story, of the Christmas miracle. They didn't understand the end of the story. The wonder that this planet, think about this with me for just a moment. This planet was visited by God's Son. He sent His Son to live among us it's the most amazing miracle. Take a few minutes to think about not just the manger scene, but where the story is going. 33 years later, where's the story headed? And give thanks to the God who came at Christmas and died for us on a cross. Listen to these words of scripture. The birth of Jesus took place like this. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, and before they came to the marriage bed, Joseph discovered she was pregnant. It was by the Holy Spirit, but he didn't know that, and so Joseph, chagrined but noble, determined to take care of things quietly so Mary would not be disgraced. While he was trying to figure a way out, he had a dream. God's angel spoke in the dream, Joseph, son of David, don't hesitate to get married. Mary's pregnancy is spirit-conceived. God's Holy Spirit has made her pregnant. She will bring a son to birth. And when she does, you, Joseph, will name him Jesus. God saves because he will save his people from their sins. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why, by believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. I wonder as I wonder out under the sky how Jesus the Savior did come for to die
pour on re-people like you and like I. I wonder as I wander out under the sky. As I wander out under the sky, how Jesus the Savior did come for to die for poor own people like you and like I. I wonder as I wander out shepherds and all but high from God's heaven a star's light did fall and the promise of ages it then did recall oh if Jesus had a king. And I can't think of a more appropriate time for us to remember that than right now. I'm going to ask those who are serving the communion elements to come forward. And in, in a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to do what Jesus asked us to do, which is remember why I came. Remember why I came and thank me. And I invite you to just take a little cracker and a cup and hold on to it because in a moment, we're going to partake of it all together. 
you know, 33 years after he was born, Jesus gathered in a room. It was a very intimate setting. It was one of those meals where he was fully present with those he loved. And he said, I have eagerly desired to share this meal with you. And they didn't really understand what was going to happen the next day. But Jesus knew. And he invited them and then Christians down through the ages to engage in this sacrament, to remember what he did. So I'm going to be quiet for a moment. And as you hold the elements, I'm just going to ask you to simply thank him, to do what he asked, to remember what he did, to bow your head and thank him for the transformation he's done in your life. And then we'll participate together. Jesus was at the table, that intimate place of connection. He was looking at those he loved, and he picked up a loaf of bread, and he broke it. And he said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. Every time you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. Then Jesus took a cup of wine and he poured it out for all those he loved and he said, this represents my blood. I'm going to shed my blood for you to bring you back home to God so that you can be present with him forever. Let's drink the cup together. Will you pray with me? 
Jesus, Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, we love you. We thank you for coming to this planet exactly the way you did. We thank you for the humility of the fact that we were born in such a dirty old barn and yet you are the king of the universe. Jesus, we want you to know this morning that we're going to set aside our distractions and focus for just right now on how very much we love you, how very grateful we are that you came, and how much we adore you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.